What is going on, everybody? This is Randall Floor 19 Man with the Million, back again with a- another weekly episode of the Xbox Two podcast. I think it's like number two, 209, 210, 212. I really don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many it is. Is it 210? All right. And uh, <laughs> with me, as usual, my co host, my buddy, Jez Corden. Senior editor, whatever your your job title is, over at the the good old Windows Central. Um, what's what's? See, okay. So, what <laughs> what is going on, buddy? What how you doing? <laughs> oh man, it's uh, I'm doing, I'm doing. You know, been another week, another week of xbox stuff and i'm i'm just tired i'm not gonna lie i'm i'm tired Rand. i'm uh, tired I, I had a bit of a break this week to try and recover from all the elden ring traffic stress of uh the, the last month or so it's quieting down a bit now thank god so uh, hopefully things will i mean i mean two minds because i i'm thirsty for xbox news like everyone else but at the same time i'm like that means more work for me so kind of like don't want more xbox news at the same time so um but yeah there has been quite a lot of news uh little bits and pieces this week and uh we're gonna get into it yeah xbox uh was at gdc talking about some stuff right but you you were on vacation yes. though yes i was i was um i wasn't working last week so i sort of um a little bit out of the loop on some of this stuff, so you're going to have to do the heavy lifting when it comes to context and that kind of thing. I'm afraid. But people, people want your context. They don't need. They don't need. They don't need my context. You know, because you have all well, the information I, about everything. Yeah, well, people, people want your context, Rand. What are you talking about? Mm. They love your context. You're Randall, Mister Context. That's your new name that I just made up right now. Interesting. <laughs> um. You know, I don't know. It seems like chat has stopped updating for me, so I gotta close the chat window and open up a new one because I don't know if it's just me, but like, yeah, it doesn't seem. YouTube to be... breaking? That, yeah, that doesn't know, sound. Right? YouTube breaking? That's a shock. Shocked, right? That always does seem yeah. to happen at some point. Um, yeah, let us know in chat if uh, everything's going good. Should be at least. It looks like it's going good on my end, but. I don't know. I was just a little worried there because all of a sudden, like everything just stopped. So, but anyways, we're here on a Saturday. Uh, both me and Jez could not do the show yesterday. Uh, I had a family member who had surgery, and I didn't. I was the person taking them to the hospital and picking them up, picking them up, and I wasn't sure uh, what day I was picking them up. So I was like, I don't know if I can do the show Friday unless because. Typically, it would be like, okay, we're going to do the show, and all of a sudden, I would get a phone call from the hospital, and I'd have to go get the person, and I'd be like, well, we got to end the show. So, it's kind of one of those things where it was like, yeah, Friday was a no-go because of that. Anyways. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but everything's good. So, yeah. Um, But before we get into everything, you know, if you guys were enjoying the show, if you do us a big favor, make sure you hit the like button, and, you know, send this out. Uh... Twitter, Facebook, all those places, because sometimes YouTube just doesn't do uh, do their job at all, right? So <laughs> before we get into all these wonderful topics like Game Pass at GDC, 
uh, the big success that the service is is basically having. Uh, Halo TV uh, show is finally out and available, and we know Jez has watched it, right? Because Jez loves loves Halo. So yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, PlayStation Spartacus, the Game Pass killer, as I've seen thrown around uh, social media, is apparently getting revealed next week. And uh, there's a whole bunch of other things I want to talk about. But first, we got to mention that, um, Jez, is this week, are we powered by anything? I think we are, Rand. I think we're powered, once again, by Manscaped. Indeed. So uh, this week's podcast is once again sponsored by Manscaped. Thank you very much for sponsoring the show. And with the code XB2... That is the letter X, the letter B, and the number two. If you put that in the checkout, you get 20% off free worldwide shipping. Well, 20% off everything on the store, as well as free worldwide shipping on literally everything, like boxers, cologne, razors, and other tools to spruce up your family jewels. This is all (laughs) manscaped all the time, baby. Trimming to perfection your testicular complexion. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when you wrote that i was laughing my ass that's a good one jazz that was a good one you gotta admit oh man it's better than the other thing that I came up with yes it definitely definitely <laughs> was uh uh definitely was uh, a lot better than your original uh first part so thank you guys for being here on this uh saturday thank you for manscape for sponsoring the podcast and if you find anything from them make sure you use the code xb2 get 20 percent off all that good stuff you know the drill uh, Humdrum in the super chat says, Rand, did you see my DM? You can share it with Jez. I don't think I saw your DM. Let me take a look at it. Uh, oh yeah. The fable development stuff. Um, someone there was there. I don't know if you saw that Jez, but someone, uh, there was like an interview with uh, fable, an ex fable developer. And you know, it was mostly positive about the stuff and, and then WCCF Tech, you know, WCCF Tech took the uh, interview and basically uh, molded it into a uh, negative clickbait headline article. Oh, uh, well. But, you know, what do you, what do you expect, right? What, what do you, you expect do, yeah. from those yeah. websites? Uh, that's exactly because negativity sells and it's not, you know, there was an interview about a guy who's like, yep. We're doing some cool things here. I left because I don't like staying in one place too long. And then, like, the whole article was basically being like, Fable's taking way too long. You know, like, is there <laughs> another problem? Like, like the perfect dark and initiative? Oh, God. You know? Uh, stuff like that. It was just uh, taken completely out kind of, of context annoying. and spun. Which, you know, they should take their time with the game because just like with Guerrilla Games going from Killzone and... <laughs> To making Horizon for, you know, Horizon shooter to RPG takes a little bit, you know. They're going from racing games to RPG, so you want the game to be good as possible, so it's going to take some time, so. Yeah. Yeah. And Microsoft, you know, Microsoft's trying not to do crunch. You know, the the, the whole media, the frenzy about crunch culture and whatever, and the Microsoft listens to that, and then they, they you know, create mandates against crunch and then the media says the games are taking too long <laughs> you can't win at the end of the day what do you want oh well 
Yeah. Cake and eat it. Um, so, you know what? I figured we'd talk a little bit about some of the lighter topics that I wanted to, uh, I saw earlier this week. And one of them oh. is, <laughs> I couldn't believe it when I first saw it, Jez. At all, right? And it was the controllers for the Sonic movie. Oh. <laughs> the furry controller, the f- yeah. I couldn't believe it. They are honestly the worst controllers I've ever seen made by any company. What are you talking about? Bro, you can't even, like, see the buttons. Like, it's all furry and shit. Like, what is up with that? Yeah. It's hard mode. Hard mode? You can't see the buttons? You can't see the buttons. It's hard mode controller. You know? No? Maybe. No? I just, personally, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, why would someone make something like this? And then I thought, maybe they did it on purpose. Because it would actually <laughs> get traction on social media. And that's what I, that's literally what I think they did. It was like, okay, we're not actually making of these course. controllers, right? We're not actually selling these things. We're only making one of each. So we can do something where people lose their minds on social media and it trends. And I think that is exactly what their aim was. Why not have these controllers with fur all over it and then people can, <laughs> can talk about it on social media? I, I honestly think that's what the, you know what happened. Of course it is. That's, that's what social media is all about, right? What? That's what, you know, Being... posting weird stuff and then getting people to re- talk about it and retweet it and comment on it. This is why, like, sometimes I think, like, some of these companies, like, recently... I noticed there was a headline in, um, it was the Daily Mail. Daily Mail, famous tabloid, clickbait. They, they, they are the, the true masters of clickbait. And one of their headlines recently I thought was absolute genius. And it was, um, what was it now? It was, I, it was, I think it was about a meteorite. I want to say it was about a meteorite. And it was like, the, the headline was something like, a meteorite the size of half a giraffe was spotted, you know, cr- coming towards Earth. And everyone was like, what kind of metric is are you measuring this meteorite by? The, the size of a giraffe? Like, people were posting their hot takes and being all smart about it. And it was just like, that's exactly what they were going for here. It was, it was like, a, it was absurd comparing a meteor to the size of half a giraffe. But... I know. It's interesting the legs to, to which some of these companies will go to to do some of this stuff, I think. No, yeah. But, That's what I realized. I wish I, I knew like, how to do it. Oh, man, this is just all just for enough. engagement because they're not actually selling these things. It's to get people to talk about well, it on Twitter right, dude, and social media. Dude, you have to like look look at fashion, right? You've, you've seen all those like crazy modern fashion things that are just like really weird shit. Like, why not apply that sort of design mentality to Xbox controllers? It's, it's the same thing, really. I mean, if if you own like, if you're someone who collects the Xbox controllers, and there's there's literally like dozens, maybe even hundreds of designs at this point. It, it comes a point where you start wondering, like, why even bother keep making functional controllers? Because people do it with shoes. They like people collect ridiculous shoes. What about them shoes that are like the the human blood in them? They're not shoes you're gonna wear, are they? They're just shoes you you collect to brag about it. So maybe maybe we're entering the era of ridiculous controllers you don't even use, just fashion controllers. Is that the next step? For God, Xbox? I hope not. I hope not. Fashion controllers. Yeah. Um. God, I hope that isn't. But Halo TV show, Jazz. 
Halo TV show is finally out. Uh, I believe the first two episodes dropped. I want to get your thoughts on it since we know you are all, you know, the biggest Halo fan out there. Tell me, what was your impressions of the groundbreaking Halo TV show? Seen it, Rand. You ain't seen because, it? Why not? No, because it's not available in good old Europe. As far as I know, it's coming out in Europe in the summer, I believe. If I, I want to say it's coming out in the summer. But um, I don't actually know if it's coming out in the summer, but I haven't seen it. And um, have you seen it? I don't know if you've seen it either. Um, I, I don't watch TV shows. Like, here's the thing. I, I, I binge TV shows. So I won't watch a show unless it's fully completed. So I hate... You know, when the whole Netflix thing started and every every show was, like, dropped at once, it was amazing, right? Uh, and everybody kind of copied them. But then slowly but surely, all these companies like Amazon and, you know, when Disney Plus entered the, the scene, they all started to basically go back to the weekly format. And I just can't, do, I just can't go back. I, I literally cannot go back and watch a show week to week. I only did it for Wheel of Time. Because Wheel of Time means so much to me. Uh, and I had to watch that week to week. But that's like the only thing I would potentially watch, watch week to week. So no, even though I love Halo, it's my favorite video game franchise. Um, I'm putting my foot down and I'm not going to start watching it until it's all completed. Because I'm, I'm not going to just watch one episode and wait a week. I'm done with that. I thought we moved on. But apparently not. Apparently these companies have other ideas. You know, they want the the hype to last from week to week. I personally can't watch TV shows like that anymore. So, yeah, I haven't watched it. Uh, Cryote says that, that it's available via S- Sky Show in the in the UK. Sky Show. Yeah. Never even heard of it. So this is, this is what I'm talking about, man. If it ain't on Netflix or Disney Plus, it doesn't exist to me. Mm. So. I, I, I ain't I ain't that I ain't enough into TV, any TV really, to go hunting down on on an irregular service. Sky Show, never heard of it. Never gonna use it, never gonna subscribe to it. So if Microsoft wants me to watch their stuff, they need to put it on a service I actually care about, and that isn't anything like that. So I'm probably never gonna watch it personally. Um but uh you know, since you haven't seen it and I haven't seen it. I think the best way to talk about it is probably how, I don't know, we've seen friends react to it and stuff. Because honestly, I haven't really seen that much negativity about it. If it like, I kind of get, <clears throat> I get some, um, I get the, I get the feeling that Halo fans are hard to please, mm. you know, sorry, <laughs> uh, to put it lightly, I get the kind of impression that Halo fans are hard to please. And, um, you know, so the fact that it hasn't been universally, universally reviled and that people seem at least somewhat optimistic about it, that's potentially a good sign, right? In, in a world where like, you know, we've had massive flops, like the cowboy bebop live action show, like have have any of your friends like recommended it to you or talked to you about it or what the halo show they said about it? Yeah. No, nobody's talked to me about it. Actually, Cognito talked to me about it because Cognito went to the premiere. 
Um, and we got a comment from Aragorn, who's a channel member, says, how can you have an Xbox podcast and not watch the first episode? Um, which is a good question. Uh, and I'm going to reply to that by saying, uh, I'm going to refer to what I said originally, which was, I don't watch TV shows until they're complete. So I'm not watching one episode and then waiting or two episodes, and then waiting a week. I don't care that I run an Xbox podcast, uh, personally. I just, uh, that's not how I consume my TV shows. Um, I did think about, well, maybe I should watch it so I can talk about it on the podcast, but I'd rather talk about the full season rather than the right. first season. But I, I have seen people complain about like, um, the whole helmet situation. Cause I guess. Yeah. Cause he shows his he face. He shows right? his face in the first episode. And there are a lot of people upset by that because we haven't seen his face in the, um, in the game and they and certain people feel that it's disrespectful to the game to have the TV show like reveal his face first. And I just kind of view that as different mediums. You know, you hire Pablo Schreer or Schreier or however you say his last name to, um, to, uh, you hire that guy because you, you need to like have him act and, it's like you don't keep him behind because if you're going to hire somebody and keep him in the suit and never show his face, you might as well just have Steve Downs do the voice, right? Because it's almost at yeah. that point like like how with Darth Vader in the original Star Wars movies where they had somebody in the suit, but then they just have then they had somebody do a voiceover. But when you actually hire somebody like Pablo to be in the suit, you're gonna you're gonna want to show his face at some point. Uh, you use his voice, show his face, so it's just like. Yeah, I mean, I expected it to happen, and it's completely different canon from the TV sh- from the game. So it's not like it—that's what he's gonna look like in the game. So, um, yeah, I don't really yeah. see that as a big deal personally. Yeah, I kind of like the only the only TV to the only video games TV or movie adaptation that I really cared about was the Warcraft one, because like, obviously, I care about Warcraft and and whatever. And in that movie, they really do, you know, change a lot of the law, you know, and the 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 format and all that stuff. And but you can't help just thinking like, there's just no way they could have made it a one to one copy of the games because like the games span decades, whereas you've got to condense all that down into a single sort of viewable show. Now the resulting the resulting product of the Warcraft movie was a mess, you know, because they did arguably tried to cram in too much lore from the games i think probably they try they tried really hard to explain a lot of stuff and get people up to speed and like when i was watching it with my friends i kept having to pause it and explain what was going on because i knew the backstory of the lore and the implications a lot of the stuff was having that was going on on screen that wasn't explained very well because the the movie studio cut so much out apparently to get the the play the view time down, so translate translating things to different mediums is always going to result in things that you maybe don't agree with. But I suppose what 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 we should be looking at is have they done a good job of it? You know, does it does it have they translated it well? Are they telling a good story? And it, it's it's okay to be like, well, it's not going to be a one to one fit with the games, I think. And but as long as it's a good story and it's sort of you know, has enough nods and stuff. I think it's, I think it's good. 
Uh, well, it did. It did break records, that, though. That it did. It did break records for Paramount Plus. Uh, a whole bunch of like, like first day twenty four hour streaming records and stuff. Like their biggest premiere ever, uh, which was originally uh, eighteen eighty three. Uh, so it seems to be doing quite well for Paramount Plus. Uh, no numbers given though, so can't really talk about how well it's doing. We already know it's been renewed for season two, and I wonder if there's one of those things where you know Halo fans. Uh, you know, because we got one a comment here from MVP Gamer Skills says real Halo fa- real Halo fans hate the show. It's trash. It's getting universally disliked and poorly reviewed. Yeah, the reviews aren't the best. Um, but I have definitely seen people say they like it. But I wonder if it's one of those things where like the Halo fans are gonna just hate watch it, right? Where they're kind of just sitting around and being like, I hate the show so much, but then they're gonna be tuned in every thursday or whenever the show drops right um yeah maybe well that's the thing like the premiere the premiere numbers could be uh reflecting the fact that people wanted to see the 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 train wreck right very much so and they and they have a they have like a big you know challenge in front of them you gotta like make the show you know you gotta appease the hardcore fans but at the same time you gotta make it accessible enough to like reach a whole new audience of people right so and i went through this with wheel time you talked a little bit about like the difficulties of adapting something from one media to one medium to the next so like book to tv show and trust me like there part like there's part of me that really didn't like some of the things they changed with wheel of time and the last episode i thought was awful uh, and you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like super happy with how the season turned out, but you know, I'm, I got my fingers crossed that like season two will be better because the book, you know, second book is better than the first. So I kind of look at it the same way of like first season of Halo, where it's like, if they kind of got to introduce people to the world, you know, uh, what, whatever, how everything like, you know, chief and, and like his story and the covenant and stuff. So it might seem wrote or commonplace to like fans of the show or they don't go deep in enough but then like you got to realize that like you know uh there are going to be people watching it that have no clue who master chief is or what the unsc is or who the covenant are and you kind of got to explain that and sometimes yeah. first seasons of shows aren't good and it's usually the second season and beyond that uh the the quality the improvements really take you know take place where they can kind of get feedback from the audience and then and you know put it in put it into the show and then the show becomes better for it so um i'll watch the show i mean i'm watching the show for sure i'm just waiting for it to uh i'm just waiting for it to be completely done because that's how that's how i watch my my, my stuff uh forte who i just got off the phone with because he called me out of nowhere uh he's been a member for 18 months says let's go we almost 30 minutes into this sure to be a 180 minute podcast i don't know about that looking forward to all this content Rand and jess can talk about today well you gotta also when you're talking about the time forte you gotta cut off the uh the beginning intro because you know we had the seven minute like going live soon screen so that that doesn't count sir that doesn't count at all uh achievement <laughs> says tunic was amazing what a game after elden ring I think that's the game I'm gonna to try to play. Uh, play, uh, play next. 
Flame says it's okay to want to wait for Halo show to be finished, Rand. I'm still waiting for Halo Infinite to be finished. So I'm waiting a whole decade. Kudos. Ooh, that's a burn. He's waiting spicy. for Halo Infinite to be finished, and it never will be. Um, Atticus says, once Chief yeah. took off his helmet, he wasn't Chief to me anymore. Maybe a C for me so far. Bad writing. And Jeff says, in post-world, with shows like Battles, Battlestar Galactica, I'm assuming is what he says, and the Expanse, the Halo TV sh- series is very underwhelming. So mm. it's definitely one of those things where uh, there's d- a lot of varying opinions about whether or not the show's good. Yeah. I know my buddy Fonz r- was like, I watched one episode and I'm never, never going to watch it again. He hated it. And it's like, hey, you know, you gave it a, ch- you gave it a shot. You didn't like it. <laughs> Don't even bother. Some people will just continue to watch it and continue to hate it and talk about it, though. That's... That's what we call hate. You ever hate watch anything or hate play anything, Jez? Uh, man, I hate watch the Kardashians. Uh, you, I thought you liked like, this, though. What do you mean? No, it's man. You you don't watch the Kardashians because you. It's like yeah, I really like this show. You watch it because it's it's like watching a train crash, man. You just can't look away. I don't know. So I, there, there's an element of that watching any reality TV show, really. I really, I really like watching the American Gordon Ramsay shows because you gotta know, right? When Gordon Ramsay does a British show, he's always really nice. He's like, he's got this reputation in America for being like really mean, really overcritical. That's something he does just for the American audience. When he does a British show, he's always super nice, really respectful and constructive. Yeah, maybe he's like a bit sharp sometimes, but he totally plays it up for American audience. So when I watch the American Gordon Ramsay shows, it's like. It's not like cringe viewing TV, you know? Like it's it's cringe it's cringy seeing so him behave like that. So like I watch it with that sort of context, but I don't know. I'm if it if it was like I do that with reality TV a lot, because it, it's cringy, but is is the Halo TV show gonna be like so bad that it's cringy or you know you know like those sort of cheesy eighties horror movies that are sort of completely unrealistic and unbelievable and you know they they always like oh what's what's in this dark corridor and they they don't run away and they end up getting killed and the teenagers are really dumb you know you you kind of watch those those shows with a sort of a sense of irony right but sometimes things are so bad that they're they're just bad Mm. and i'm like thinking maybe the halo tv show be like that i don't know but like I say, I'm not super into Halo, and I, I've, I try so hard to get into it. I just can't. It just doesn't. Nothing about Halo resonates with me. I don't know why. It's it's weird. But that's the that's the just the God's honest truth. I can't pretend to like yeah. it. I know, but all people but have, all people um, have to do is go back to the episode where you were playing the Halo multiplayer during the show for the first time, and how much you loved it. The Halo multiplayer is good. Like the, I've always played Halo multiplayer on and off over the years, and I do like it. I just it just doesn't come naturally to me like Call of Duty does. Like I can pick up Call of Duty and play it straight away, and when I play Halo, it's like you have to think. <laughs> you don't like, like to think. You play, Call of... you play video no, games. I don't not like to think. I play video games not to think. Right. I mean, you know, well, I've, I've gotten into Souls Likes a bit, and you have to you have to think a little bit in them. But when I play a shooter, I don't really want to think that much. In Call of Duty, you just you don't have to think. Halo, you have to think a bit. So I just again, it's sort of like I can play it in short bursts, and it's quite fun with friends, especially if you're drinking. 
um i don't know especially like the more casual modes like i really like um what are the big team battle like big team battle is, is the mode that i like but i got sick of the two maps there's only two maps right or three or something three there's not many maps um i just i'm sick of the maps like i really need there to be more maps and more variety doesn't feel like there's a lot of variety in the game but i don't know it's another discussion really indeed um, i feel like we've talked about halo to death yeah it's lack of variety yeah i also put up a poll i wanted to see what the chat thinks i said what do you think of the new halo tv show it's got 233 votes uh 41 say they liked it 29 uh-huh. said meh 25 say they loved it and six percent said they hated it so yeah mm-hmm. i mean that's a pretty that's a pretty decent spread i would say I mean, it could have been so much worse. It could have been this cringeworthy catastrophe like the Cowboy Bebop live adaptation. That's what you, it's, it seems like they've avoided the brunt of that. Maybe it's it's like not going to win any awards and it's not going to be remembered super fondly or something. But it's only episode one, so maybe it'll get better, you know? Or two episodes. Or maybe it'll get worse. Yeah. But it, it does seem like a lot of the criticism is centered around him showing his face and poor writing and stuff yeah. like that but nightwolf in the super chat says there's also the report that they never looked at the games for reference which confused me yeah i know a lot of people pointed That's to actually that fake news yeah i did see that that wasn't necessarily the truth um that they, they clarified that comment and said that it was they didn't look at it while they were there or something i can't remember exactly but they said that everyone on the team did play the games but that comment specifically was taken out of context. Maybe they're just trying to save face. I don't know, but I don't know. It does sound like they did play the games, at least to some degree. Chris R says, the moment someone says they are a real fan of something, I usually ignore their opinion. Gatekeeping is weird coming from a huge Halo fan. Yeah, the real fan. The yeah. real fans of the yeah. Xbox 2 podcast, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The real fans of Xbox 2 podcast use Manscaped. Yeah, code, code XP2, XP2, 20% off. And and if you're <laughs> if you if you haven't bought anything from Manscaped, then you're just not a real uh, Xbox 2 fan. <laughs> Stupid stuff. No, of course that's not true. Yeah. yeah uh Punkadish, who's been a member for 13 months, says as much as I love Xbox, I have never been into Halo. Just never got into it. Hashtag fraud. Hey man. Some people are like that. Uh Halo is the reason I play an Xbox in the first place, but there are definitely people out there who don't like Halo who are Xbox fans. So um, they're I know too pe- happy. The games are too happy. You're too well, happy. I you think them. they're too happy. I like the ga- I like my shooters to be dark and depressing, and Halo has always has this sort of upbeat optimism about it. You know, and th- there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's a good thing that there's variety. It's just I. Just, I just don't like that. I like I like my Bioshocks and my Dooms, and I like my shooters to be a bit have an edge to them. I feel like Halo has like no kind of there's not nothing controversial about Halo. I don't know. Yeah, the That's one thing me. I do think is odd after, uh, and I'll tell you what after RDX Son of Fett super chat where he says Halo's the highest viewed premiere in Paramount Plus. Indeed, it is. We talked about that, but I did think it's odd. And maybe a missed opportunity for there not to be any sort of cross-promotion with the game and the TV show, right? 
Like there's no mm-hmm. there's no like event going on right now in Halo Infinite, uh, like celebrating the new TV show. There's no like get the skins from the game, uh, you know, or the skins from the TV show rather in the game. Like you f- you figured there would be a lot of big cross promotion you could do between the show and the game, and there just isn't any. Um, and now maybe that could be for many different reasons. Maybe like they just weren't able to make any stuff for the show, but it just seems like that is something you would want to celebrate. Like finally, after all this time, the Halo TV shows here and you have a live service game that is supposed to get constantly updated with new stuff. And there just isn't anything. It just seems like a big missed opportunity. You know what I mean, Jez? Yeah. I mean, I get that. I get it, but at the same time, I also think like they really wanted this to not seem like a marketing thing, and they wanted it to be its own creative vision and stuff like that. So I also get it that they didn't do it that way, but I don't know. The whole idea beyond this transmedia stuff, it's to sort of drive a halo effect over over the branding question, right? Like um, that League of Legends show on Netflix... I can't remember what it's called now. What's it called? The League of Legends show. Oh man, I can't uh, remember what it's called. Arcane. But Arcane, yeah. That like that had like no cross promotional stuff with the game really, beyond like having some characters and some lore and stuff like that. So, you know, but that drove a massive halo effect over the game and increased curiosity in the game. Even I was thinking, like, man, like because loads of people were saying, like, man, I've never played League of Legends, but Arcane's really good. And it makes it makes them like more curious about the game potentially, um, but I think like I think it's a good thing that they didn't try too hard to link it to the games because what what you want to do with these kind of things is bring in new new people into your stuff, right? Like, yeah, you want you want you want like you want to you want to anchor it in the fans and the, the hardcore fan base to some degree, but you also want to make sure that you're appealing from Microsoft's perspective. You want to make sure that you're appealing to um, fans who maybe never experienced Halo before. Because maybe they'll watch the show and become a fan of the franchise through the show, you know? Yeah. Mm. Anyways, uh, Installation 7 says, Jez, you you obviously don't know about Halo Reach. It's not a happy game. It's a dark, grim, atmospheric game. That is 100% true. Yeah, a lot of people have said that about Halo Reach. And Halo Reach is the only one I haven't played. And a lot of people that I've talked to about this have told me to play Halo Reach. So maybe I do need to go and play Halo Reach and get a taste of that sort of the, the dark. Because I know that I know that there's dark stuff in the in the lore, and I know that I know that like in the books and stuff, and and like the origins of the Spartan program and all that stuff. I know that there is darker elements in the in the the game's lore and history and stuff, but I don't really get a sense of that in the games, the ones that I've played anyway. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I do need to check out Halo Reach. Definitely do. Uh, Doom says, I'm starting to feel like Halo's a franchise should be sunset at this point. Halo fans will never be happy, even if 343 gets everything right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Sunset it. No, don't sunset, sunset it. it. But I feel like bring I, all that budget to Gears of War, baby. I feel like that's enough, <laughs> enough Halo Tark for a show that me and you haven't watched oh. yet. So... Uh, yeah, maybe. maybe we'll talk talk about it when I actually watch the show when it's finished. But um, I thought this was interesting, Jez, because it's uh, 
confirmation that there is a new game in the works over at Tango Gameworks. You know, they just released Ghostwire Tokyo exclusive for the PS5, which you've played a little bit of. Although, I remember you yeah. telling me it wasn't the best experience because you were having issues with the game running on PC. So Yeah, I can I can talk about Ghostwire in a bit if you want, but but yeah, I, I sort of I didn't do a full review because I had PC problems, sadly. And I don't have a PlayStation, so But um Shinji Mikami basically came out and said um that uh he wants he wants Tango Gameworks to move away from being known as a horror studio. And he wants them to make mm. m- like smaller games and like non-horror. And that uh, the game director of Evil Within 2 was already working on a brand new game that we might hear about sooner rather than later. But it definitely seems like he wants to move the studio out from being pigeonholed as horror. But I know you kind of love Evil Within. Does it disappoint you that potentially... We're not going to be getting Evil Within 3 and that they're going to be making different types of games outside of the horror genre? Or are you excited to see what, like, creative, uh, uh, you know, the creativity of the studio at hand when they're not really like, hey, you can make whatever you want now, basically? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know, disappointing, I guess, to hear that they do want to move away from horror but at the same time it's like i wouldn't want them to feel forced or pigeonholed into making horror you know because you know it's it's like you say and we've talked about on the show ultimately the artists should make what they want to make you know and i think when when you have studios sort of being forced to make games they don't want to make you end up with ubisoft <laughs> so um so yeah uh, I think it's it's important that they have the creative freedom and and all that kind of stuff and and uh, if they don't want to make Evil Within Three, then you know it's, it's they shouldn't be forced to make it. But yeah, as a fan, I'm disappointed because you know Shinji Mikami is a horror legend. He made some of the best horror franchises of all time. I think Evil Within is criminally underrated, um, and I think it's you know it was very punishing and it was it was unrelenting and it's like it doesn't let up you know like you know resident evil has its sort of to some degree like intense moments super scary moments and then it has like it's it'll sort of take the edge off with a more action-oriented moment and then like the save rooms and all that kind of stuff even within it just never let up so like (laughs) i understand maybe why it wasn't as popular as um some of the other horror games out there and also like why completing the game is a rare achievement <laughs> i was i was talking about that like when i completed it within um on normal difficulty it popped up that it was a rare achievement i was like oh what really <laughs> that's a rare achievement but um i don't know so but i think it's a shame because it is like it is kind of iconic you know and it would have it would have filled in a gap in xbox's lineup if they are going for this sort of diversity and uh, genre diversity, but, but yeah, sometimes we can't have everything we want, I guess. Yeah. Well, if you wanted to, you know, keep the people at the studio, you know, giving them creative freedom is probably the way to go about it. Right. Cause you don't want yeah. Shinji Mikami to leave. Um, no. so it's kind of like, 
you don't want to force him to make games that maybe he wouldn't want, and maybe he wants to make something different. So it's like, you let him do, he's like, hey, whatever, here's the money, just make whatever games you want. So if the studio wants to make games that are non-horror, then, you know, so be it, right? Like, why yeah. not? And maybe they can make something really I just cool. just hope they're good. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, they're just, they need to be good. That's the, that's the kicker, really. They have to, they still have to be good. And um, honestly, like, I don't, I didn't feel like what I played of the uh, Ghost War Tokyo, like, it was intriguing, but it felt a bit messy, you know? Um, the pacing was really strange. I felt like, um, I don't know, again, there was a sort of sense of unrelenting information being thrown at me. Like, it was, t- it was trying to explain the story to me in the context of the game's world, at the same time as explaining the game mechanics and doing a tutorial. And I was just, I was just like, man, this, this feels kind of strange and messy and disjointed and stuff. And I was like, I played it for about four hours before I just got tired of the, the performance on my PC because it just kept stuttering all the time. And the, it constantly rains in the game. And the rain was really, really tanky in my frame rate. And my PC isn't terrible. You know, it's it's like RTX uh, 2070 Max-Q thingamabob. So it's like, it, it was well within the recommended specs, but it just wasn't running that great. Maybe it needed day one, day one patch or something to sort of push it over a bit. I just like man, I can't, I can't get into this at the moment. But it was, it was an intriguing concept, and to- Tokyo looked great, it looked really great, even on medium settings at 1080p, looked really nice. And um, the combat was actually quite, combat was probably the best part of the game because it's sort of like first person, almost melee, but also shooter. Like you shoot finger bullets and cast like magic spells, and then like. If you if you perform like a perfect parry, like um like Elden Ring, it staggers staggers the enemy and you can like you know pop off critical hits and and stuff like that. So if you play on like a higher difficulty, you really have to sort of like um pay attention to parries and and sort of strategize how you approach every combat situation. Like come up in stealth to get rid of a couple of mobs maybe, and then like you know use uh, AOE and use the environment stuff it was quite the combat was probably the best part of the game for me so far but the story delivery was very strange disjointed the main character doesn't seem to be too bothered by the fact that he's a ghost or something well that's the thing i, I don't even know if he's a ghost or not i, I the, the game really didn't give me enough context in the start um i don't know it was an intriguing game, and uh, I hope, like, when it comes to Xbox, I'll probably give it another go, or if I get a new computer at some point. But I don't want to get a better computer. This one's kind of like getting a bit. It's getting on a bit. This one. Well, I mean, I you got a new TV, so now, now you need a new. Uh, now you need a new PC. Yeah, but I also want to save up for a place, man. Can't can't be living my girlfriend's parents forever. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh, I wish I was just a millionaire. Rand, can I have some of your millions? I mean, I wish I, w- I wish I was a millionaire. I mean, that would that would make things a lot easier, you know. So round down millionaire. Yeah, I mean, I haven't made any videos in like two months. <laughs> I'm poor. Oh man, super poor. Flame poor says, uh, "Sunset it." Also, play Reach, Jazz. It's generally good. I agree. I I really love Halo Reach. I don't know if that'll turn you around in the franchise, but um, it's one of my favorites. Edward King says. Least that needs to happen with 343 that should have happened years ago. Restructure the management 
and uh, to stop doing short contracts and hire full-time. Well, that wouldn't be need to be like a change at Microsoft overall with the whole contracting situation. That's not like specifically an Xbox yeah. thing. It's like an overall Microsoft thing. So, yeah. Um, so, Suicide Squad was also delayed because the GDC thing, and then they came out and said, coming out in spring of 2023, nobody's surprised because there had already been rumored and you know, Gotham Knight was coming out this fall, so there's no way they're also launching Suicide Squad. So that is coming out um, next year. The Quarry was also announced from uh, Supermassive Games. It kind of seems like a spiritual successor to Until Dawn, which was a PlayStation 4 game with I loved. Um, and I haven't been the biggest fan of these Man of Madon games. Have you played any of them, Jez? The I haven't Man played any of them. Yeah, the um, Dark Pictures anthology or whatever. Yeah, I I haven't played any of them myself, but uh, a lot of a lot of people like them though. So I don't know. I did see a lot of people, a lot more recently, uh, talking about, um, you know, smart delivery and how a lot of games recently aren't using it because of the greed of companies like you have 2k who believe are publishing the quarry uh because that one has an xbox one version and then a series x version for ten dollars more and tiny tina wonderland just came out and it's interesting because that is not using smart delivery so you got to be make careful you got to be careful when if you're buying tiny tinas make sure you buy the right version for your console uh because i know a couple people one of them being cold eastwood who downloaded the wrong version and then bought the right version on his PC. Like, he downloaded the Xbox One version through the app so it could be ready. But then, like, when he bought the game on the the PC app, you know, he bought the Series X version. But the version he had downloaded was the Xbox One version, which he didn't have access to. So I see a lot of people making that mistake of, you know, essentially not... They assume everything is smart delivery, which, you know... Everything really should be, um, but a lot of a lot of companies aren't doing that, and it's like there's an Xbox One version for this price, and then there's Series X version for this price. So make sure you uh, double check yeah. to make sure uh, you're buying the right version, because <laughs> they can be a little stringent on refunds. Like you could buy the Xbox One version, and you know obviously it runs on the Series X. And you could play it and then realize this isn't the version you wanted and then try to get a refund. Uh, but Microsoft, you know, if you play it for an extended period of time, sometimes they won't give you a refund. Uh, so just be careful about that. That's a public service announcement. If Always make sure you're buying the right version uh, because you, you definitely don't want to be like, I spent $60 on Tiny Tina's Xbox One. And then I had to buy the $70 version and they wouldn't refund the 60 So I spent $130 on Tiny Tina. And then you think to yourself, well, Randy Pitchford just loves me, huh? Right? <laughs> just Because he just made out like like a bandit. So, yeah. yeah. So make sure. Um, we have some movement on the Xbox Activision deal, Jez. I don't know if you've uh, saw yeah, some that has of been this. Some movement, yeah. So the FTC has asked Microsoft and Activision for more information regarding the deal because they're going to, you know, they're going to look at every aspect of the deal. But Activision shareholders are going to be voting. I think this week potentially 
and then we'll find out what the vote was sometime in early March. Um, now I think, and, uh, the board of directors at Activision are basically urging shareholders to vote yes and to approve the merger and the acquisition because they said if they don't, then the, the share price is going to, uh, well, it's going to even crash even further. So how are you feeling about the, uh, this deal, Jez? I know you're kind of, you feel a little, sometimes when I talk to you, you feel like it's not going to go through. Sometimes I feel, uh, you know, you're a little bit uh, pessimistic about everything, but what's your, how are you feeling about it now? I'm, I'm still pretty pessimistic. Like I honestly, like, I think there's a lot of moving parts here and it's going to be a huge challenge. I don't think it's a done deal. I don't think like Microsoft can afford to be complacent about the amount of, I don't know, complexity that they're going to have to deal with. And Microsoft has the best acquisition lawyers in in the world because, you know, that is pretty much, you know, they've, they've bought a lot of companies over the last, over the last few years, you know, they bought GitHub, they bought, you know, uh, nuance for a million billion trillion dollars and all those deals had to be scrutinized and approved and stuff like that but none of these companies were publicly traded as far as I can remember um, which does add a lot of complexity so this is not it's a huge challenge for Microsoft and you know a unique a unique challenge for their for their acquisitions team um, but they do have like a big acquisitions team and they do a lot of work with the United States government um, for, from everything from like, you know, supporting the state to full blown military contracts and stuff like that. It's not like Microsoft isn't, you know, it's not like Microsoft has the government pissed off or anything right now. They really don't like Microsoft's like probably far less scrutinized than your boys like Meta, for example. You know, if Meta tried to buy Activision, I think there'd be a huge amount of scrutiny over it. Um, because a lot of there's a lot of nervousness about Facebook having control of basically the entirety of social media in the whole world. There's a lot of concern about that. But Microsoft has no real footprint beyond entertainment, and the U.S. government is generally feels a bit more lenient towards entertainment acquisitions. And we just saw Warner Brothers and Discovery and uh, Time Warner undergo this massive process. And honestly, that was like huge deal for some very very big well-known franchises and stuff like that so i don't know i think there's there's reason to be optimistic but i also think you know it's, it's a huge it's a huge challenge and what would and happen it's going to be an uphill struggle what would happen if the activision shareholders voted against it well they'd lose a lot of money for the first for the for the first thing so it depends like it depends ultimately um on the culture, like I don't, I don't really know how their culture is structured, the shareholders' culture and stuff like that. Could there be some sort of, I don't know, hostile attempt by some big banks or something to cancel this deal and then try and take control of the company somehow, and then you know try and strip the assets or something? I don't know. Like this is this is super complicated, and I have no idea to what extent some of that stuff could even, you know, happen or have an impact. But that's why I'm like, I'm not being, I'm not being one of these people out there like, Oh, this is, this is a done deal. It's definitely happening. 
you know, there's not going to be any problems and stuff because I do, I do think there's a, there's a lot of complexity and there's a lot of there's a lot of room for this to get uh, I don't know tripped up to some degree maybe so I don't know just have to wait and see. There's also a lot of people expecting um, the deal to complete this year, Jez. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of people talking about on social media that like the FTC is going to look at it and the Activision shareholders are voting on it. And that uh, people are people are expecting. Oh, I mean, I don't you know, I don't know how smart these people are, but they're expecting the deal to uh, close by like July and August, and that like Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two, which is supposedly the well we know is the game coming out this year, that'll launch directly into Game Pass this year. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about that? Like, what do you what do you think of the odds of it actually closing this year? Um, and the odds of if it did. Game uh, Modern Warfare Two launching into Game Pass Day One, because part of me think thinks it's unlikely for that to happen. But you know, I'm not I'm for not this a... year. I think I think there is an outside chance that it could happen this year. You know, again, don't have full blown inside knowledge of the way all this works, but you have to expect that Microsoft wants to get this completed as soon as possible. You know. The rushing it through is going to make it happen more easily than sort of letting it drag out and stuff. A lot of a lot of these big mergers, often they just go through by default because nobody tries to contest them or makes big arguments against them, and they just end up just going through. Um, so maybe that could happen for Microsoft as well, but I feel a bit like this current you know, FTC and this administration, you know, maybe, you know, people have said that there might be a sort of a willingness for people to try and use this whole event to sort of stake their careers on it and be like, oh yeah, I blocked this merger for the good of the American people, you know, it's, you know, and, and sort of spin it and politicize it and stuff like that, you know? So there's also that aspect to, to, uh, play into it it's weird man it's a whole weird sort of thing and um and also the the european union are also probably going to l- look at this very closely because blizzard is a huge employer of um all pretty much all blizzard's tech support is in europe so like ireland france it's all in europe and um huge amount of employees we're talking thousands of employees like uh, blizzard's main customer support services are in ireland which is european union so it it impacts those those people, you know, and the European Union. There's a huge meme in the European Union where they're like, "Oh yeah, we need to we need to block we need to block legislation about. I mean, we need to create legislation to rein in big tech, the big scary technology, you know." And they just um they just passed a law actually, uh, basically banning Google Analytics, and also they they want to make a law forcing Apple to allow interrupt to inter inter opera i can't say that word um but they basically they want like facebook messenger and whatsapp and imessage and skype and all these services to allow for interoperability between the different messaging platforms and stuff so there's a lot there's a big push to limit the reach of big tech right now which i think is is going to unfairly put stress on this deal because this this is one of the deals that actually is good for consumers one of the few major major big tech publishing acquisitions that i think is good for consumers because 
if for no reason other than to get rid of Bobby Kotick, you know. So it's uh, it's sort of, but like I say, it's so complicated and it's so it's so far beyond what I could possibly express as someone with no expertise. You know, I just know how complicated it is, and um, and that's the reason why I don't think anyone should assume that it's a done deal. You know, because there's so many things can happen, so many damn things. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. I mean, it would be cool if it happened this year and Modern Warfare, you know, 2 came to uh, Game Pass Day 1, but I don't know. Like, I just think that's unlikely, but that's just me. That's just me. Maybe maybe it does happen. Uh, Jacob says, is it time for Xbox to kill off Halo and make another mascot if people don't like Halo? I thought of that. More people leave 343i, more people don't like Halo. I mean, they're not going to kill off Halo. As much as Jez wants them to, they're not going to. Jez yeah, Je- wants them to make a Gears TV show, you know? He doesn't. He, I do. He wants, he wants Gears I to be as popular as Halo, but it's never going to be. They're making a Fallout TV show, though. Well, that's because Fallout's huge and it's bigger than Gears. Yeah, that's true. And this is coming. But, from- Rand, there was, there was um, a pretty major hire for Gears recently. Was the, there? The old. Yeah, the old law. The guy who was in charge of Gears Law and writing from back in the day has returned to the coalition to, to work on the franchise again. Um, he announced on Twitter yesterday, I believe. So well, that's interesting. That was unexpected. So that, that to me says the very opposite of them being done with gears. Well, yeah. I mean, they obviously are making sure. gear six, so they're not done just yet. Yeah. Even though I want, they don't hire, they don't, <laughs> but what if gear six is really good? It makes you want more. Uh, well, okay, we'll have to wait and see. But then again, I'm only the person who plays Gears for the single player. Like, I, I couldn't care less for the multiplayer. And I know it's popular in Brazil and stuff. And Microsoft probably has good reasons to keep the franchise going because it's, like, super popular in other parts of the world. But, like, you know, sometimes you just you come to an end and, like, you just got to move on to something else, you know? Not everything needs to last. I'm a big fan of the multiplayer, man. I like if if I find like Halo multiplayer hard, I feel like Gears multiplayer is on a whole nother level of hard. Like Gears multiplayer is so so different to anything else I've tried to play. I just cannot get into it, no matter how hard I've tried. The whole the whole wall bouncing thing, like so strange, and it's not really like anything else, you know. But yeah. but and- I I appreciate diversity in games so and speaking of that's a different games it's a good thing since we're talking about the xbox activision thing and a lot of things are happening i'd be interested to see about the uh shareholders and whether they approve it or not but uh sony bought a new studio this week uh they purchased haven which was the jade raymond studio uh that she started up after um the Google basically shut down their first party development at at Stadia, which shocked nobody. Nobody at all (laughs) when that happened. And, um, you were not shocked. I was so shocked. Yeah. So actually like, um, (laughs) well, so this is, um, they're located in Montreal studios made up of like 30% of people from Stadia and the other 66% were people from, you know, Ubisoft. Cause that's where Jade worked. 
Um, Jade also hasn't released a game in like 10 years. It's been like a decade. Uh, she's been moving around. Was at EA, but nothing really came out there. She left. Or her, I think her Star Wars game was canceled. And then went to Google Stadia, and that fell through. And now she's uh, working at Haven, and they're working on a live service multiplayer game. Probably some shooter of, a, uh, of some kind. As part of Sony's um, 10 multiplayer live service games that they want to have launched by 2026. Um, yeah. what did you think of this? Were you were you surprised about Sony buying uh, a studio before they've even put out a game? I mean, what's your uh, what's your thought process on this? I imagine they didn't pay much. Probably That's my not. thought process. Well, no IP way. comes with it, right? So, I mean, it's just a brand new studio. So they're probably they'll probably never be cheaper than they ever would be at this point in time, right? Yeah. Uh, like if they had a game coming out, uh, if they had a game already, and you know it was already making money, like you, like Bungie for example, Bungie cost Bungie would cost a lot of money, but um, uh, this probably not so much. So maybe Sony like they saw what they had in in mind for development and thought that's a really cool concept. We can add a lot to this. They they need support on the the service side. They need servers. They need uh, live ops support and all that stuff. Sony can provide that, and they can pro- also provide them with financial security. So like this is basically investment, right? They're investing in the company and um, the potential, and clearly they think there's a lot of potential, and maybe there is, but ultimately we don't know because, like you say, um, her teams that she's led haven't put a game out in a long time, and um, yeah. the industry's moved on a lot from the old days. So it well, remains to be seen whether Sony can catch up on the service side because Microsoft has so much. They're so far ahead in this area. Like, uh, you know, like uh, State of Decay and Sea of Thieves, they didn't particularly rate that well. Metacritic, but my God, they have they have converted a lot of players and deliver a lot of value for the company um, just because their services, you know, and they've gotten so much better over time. <clears throat> and they've ended up being a lot of representing a lot of value for Microsoft. And, um, and it only like, and like Halo as well. Like a lot of people are complaining about Halo right now, but it, it's done some serious numbers, you know? I think this, this is a couple things. Like one, as you mentioned, they're never been cheaper, right? They haven't released a game yet. So it probably doesn't cost that much to acquire them Two, You have your first studio in Canada and Montreal specifically, which is a hub for, a lot of the a lot of video game developers and as we have heard there's a big exodus going on at Ubisoft so it's maybe a good place to do some recruiting for stuff like that and three i think this is everything that's going on with Microsoft acquiring all these studios and Embracer and Tencent and everybody just acquiring and gobbling up everything just like i saw Netflix just acquired a new studio right it kind of has changed the way Sony would like to do business. Because Sony is very much typically, we're going to work with you a couple times to see if you kind of fit in our, our mold, and then we'll make you the offer. Kind of uh, you know, what worked with Housemark and what worked with um, uh, Bluepoint and stuff like that. But mm. because of Microsoft's acquisition spree and all these other publishers buying up all these studios, it could be it was just Sony's just like, we can't wait anymore. Because if we wait, somebody else might come in and, and take it from us. So, you know, 
I think I, I think it changes a lot of things because you look at like a company like Deviation Games, who Sony's partnering with on another live service title. Um, they haven't made a game yet. I wouldn't be surprised if Sony bought them simply because if you don't and they make something popular, uh, not only are, is their price going to go up, but then somebody else might want to acquire <clears throat> them, right? Like somebody else might want to step in and, and be like, we want them. So it's kind of like you need to acquire it almost in a defensive position. Uh, you know, so it's going to be interesting how mm-hmm. this all kind of plays out even more once like Microsoft's acquisition of Activision goes through. Because as I've said before, like I don't think they're done buying. They may be done buying right now before, and you know until this deal goes through. But they're gonna they're gonna buy once again once it once it you know once it goes through, right, Jez? Yeah, they're not done. Once once the, if they if they do close the deal with Activision, then they're gonna go right back to to acquiring stuff. But I saw an interesting thread the other day. Um, uh, actually, the lead developer of. Uh, the Long Dark uh, tweeted out some interesting stats and figures, like talking about how Inner Sloth, for example, Inner Sloth were purchased for a few billion. And then, like, he was posting the Steam stats for Among Us, which is the, the game's dropped off a lot. Yes. Um, but may, may, And he was he was speculating that, yeah, maybe it does numbers on, um, on mobile, yeah, mobile. And I suspect yeah. that it does. Yeah, because, like, it, when, if I ever I play Among Us, it's just with mates, you know, on, on our phones or something, usually. Or, like, maybe one of us is on the Xbox and the rest of us are on a phone or something. So I suspect the game is bigger on mobile, but it was an int- it was still an interesting point to make that it used to be a lot bigger on Steam, and now it isn't, like, after they purchased it for, like, a, a lot of money. Like, how much did this lost sell for? I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was a lot of money, and there's speculation that it's, like, they might never make that money back, you know? Um, so not every deal is a good deal. It might seem like a good deal. And there is a lot of, there's a big rush towards these kind of deals right now, because obviously the game industry is growing. It's billions. It's bigger than movies and music combined. We talk about this a lot, that it's the biggest entertainment medium, but I think, uh, there's also, there's reason to be cautious about this because it's still a very high risk business. It's not like every game blows up. You know, you could spend like, you know, you spend billions on a studio like in a sloth and then maybe the game literally disappears out of trending, you know, the trending tab. And then all of a sudden no one cares about it anymore. And then you're left with like, you're left holding the bag on a massive, a massive acquisition that you can't make your money back on, you know? So it's, it's still risky. You know, there's no guarantee that Jade's studio, for example, is going to put out a banger and make a, you know, a, st- a service game that does really well. It could be another um, lawbreaker scenario, right? Um, where it's just like they they try and make a game that you know seems to be a trending thing, and then it just doesn't deliver. Which is why I think like when Halo when Halo Infinite does come out with their you know their sort of their next gen um. Uh, their next gen Warzone, because like, everyone everyone keeps saying they need to make a battle royale. They need to make a battle royale. I keep hearing this all the time, but I feel like if they make a battle royale and it's just sort of uninspired and it, it doesn't do anything unique or new or interesting, it it kind of just doesn't need to exist. You know, there are already there are already games out there that do this stuff. You know, and, and if you if you if you're if your mentality is we're just going to make a game because it's the the genre is popular, or whatever. I don't think that's always enough to guarantee success these days. I mean, look at um, 
Look at Battlefield's Firestorm mode, for example. Do you even remember what that is? I had yeah. to remind myself yesterday that Battlefield Five had a had a had a battle royale mode, and like Fallout seventy six had a battle royale mode. You know, and it's like it's not every game needs to have a battle royale mode, but I guess it just remains to be seen ultimately how these games pan out. Well, yeah, and maybe uh, you know Sony like what they saw enough where they're like, okay, we'll spend the money on it now, lock them down. Uh, but I mean, live the live service like category right now is pretty it's pretty saturated right so if you're doing he's getting saturated yeah i mean if you're doing some sort of live service multiplayer game whether it's battle royale or something else you're competing with not just competing with like the new releases you're also competing with all the franchises that are already established like your rainbow sixes and your rocket leagues your Fortnites, and your war zones and stuff like it's really hard to make an impact when everybody already has kind of carved out their 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 game that they want to play. So, yeah. you know, will the game be successful? I mean, I hope it's going to be good. Um, but it just, it just, it's just one of those things. It's kind of just like uh, just more people being, you know, every it seems like almost every week you wake up and somebody's being bought, whether it's Sony buying Haven or Bungie or Xbox buying Activision or Netflix, Netflix of all people buying somebody. And then Embracer and then Tencent. It like it just it just it seems like it's never gonna end until like you know, everybody's owned at Everyone some point. Owned. Yeah. Yeah. So it is interesting. Like saturation is something that I think about a lot. It's like one of one of the reasons why I think Elden Ring did really well is because it it appealed to a market that isn't so saturated right now, which is a, a pure video game. It's no no service aspect. No, no multiplayer bullshit. Well, there is multiplayer, but there's no like bullshit. Like, there's no store. There's no cosmetics. There's no battle pass and all that stuff. It's just a pure video game, and those are weirdly getting rare. And I thought it was quite interesting that like the Harry Potter devs of that Harry Potter game, they were very vocal about the fact that they are just making a video game. It's not it's not like a service. It doesn't have microtransactions or a battle pass or anything like that. It's just a pure video game. And um it's funny how that has become a marketable thing again. You know. Because you know, like Bethesda did their whole protect the single player campaign when it was it was sort of like it felt like, you know, everyone wanted to make a service at the start of last gen. And like these games as a service term became popularized and you know, we had Fable trying to be a service and games that had no business to be in a service trying to become a service and they all flopped. Or a lot of them flopped. But you know, some of them cut through and they actually offered something unique. Like Sea of Thieves is popular because literally no one else does that. Does that. Sea of Thieves is the only game that does that well. I know Arc the Arc dev have their sort of Sea of Thieves knockoff. I can't remember what it's called, but Yeah. Nobody cares about uh, that. Yeah, what is that game called? I totally forgot about. I think it came to. I think it's on Game Preview on Xbox, but um, I can't remember what it's called. I can't remember either. Uh, shout out to Achievement in the uh, super chat for saying power washing my car with my Galaxy Pros and noise canceling, listening to you guys. And I, might I say, and might I say, Starlight Bliss. Thanks for the amazing show, guys. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for the super chat, and we appreciate you very Good much. Headset. Yeah. Um, Supernova says, do, do we expect the official reveal of Indiana Jones at the next Microsoft conference? Um, what do you think, Jez? Um, yeah, I think it probably gets revealed this year. I've, I've heard that Bethesda are doing a lot of heavy lifting on marketing this year. 
So it's it it, sound, it sounds to me appropriate that we'd see uh, that game get revealed this year, but I don't mean, know for sure. Well, I mean, certain, we already but... it's already been revealed. I mean, what do you think we're going to get? Like an actual two minute CGI trailer or an actual uh, yeah, like, like something like that? I think we we might see gameplay this year. I would I would expect personally. Don't know for sure, but I guess we'll. Find That's out. the thing because. There's so much that Xbox can show if they want to that it's going to be interesting trying to figure out what they will show because I always kind of do my predictions. And my predictions usually, you know, not to brag or anything, but they usually end up being right for the most part. <laughs> you know, what you I mean? mean your predictions. No, like my actual predictions, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, predictions. But they, this year... Totally, totally, totally predictions. This year it's like, I think... There's so much they can show, especially compared to years past, that I know they're not going to want to show everything. So it's going to be tough for me to try to figure out what they want to show versus what they would want to cut and hold for later on. Um, so it's going to, like, yeah. Plus, they have so many studios now where it's just like, okay, well, uh, what about what about this one, this one, this one? Like, people even forget, like, with Bethesda, yeah, you got Machine Games working Indiana Jones, but you also have... um. You have Zenimax Online working on a big new uh, AAA game, and that could potentially be revealed this year. I mean, hell, it is working on something. You know, it's been two year anniversary for Doom Eternal. They could easily probably have like a CGI trailer or announcement trailer sh- w- announcing whatever they're doing next. We already know Tango's working on another game. Are they at a point where they could put something out? I mean, that's just Bethesda. Not to mention like all of Xbox Game Studios. It's like. There's a lot that could potentially be shown off, and it's going to be tough for me to try to like narrow it down. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is crazy. It's cra- it's crazy how much stuff they could show, and it kind of it kind of I don't know exacerbates the fact that we don't they're not showing anything. <laughs> Show something, anything. I need I need to see something. Uh, your Ma- malice says, can you compare the Haven Sony and the initiative Xbox approaches in terms of getting studios off the ground and into first party orbit, given the recent, the initiative news? What do you think, Jazz? How would you compare Sorry, both of those? Uh, comparing the Haven and Sony acquisition with the initiative Xbox approaches in terms of getting studios off the ground and into the first party orbit, given like the recent stuff with the initiative and everything. Well, it's interesting because the, the one of the reasons they they built the initiative where they built it was take to take advantage of the dev, developer and the contractor culture in um, Southern Monica. California, yeah. right? Santa Monica. Um, but that's that's what I heard is that it's Santa Monica has this this culture of um, you know temp 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 work basically where you you work on a game and then you go off to another studio to do the next project and stuff and um you know while a lot of it creates these headlines like oh my god all these staff are leaving and stuff and yeah we talked about it last week there there is you know people did leave for legitimate reasons from the initiative but there's also a lot of contract work going on around there so it's sort of like people jump from studio to studio and stuff like that so the dev culture in montreal is obviously going to be different to southern california um and stuff like that. So it's sort of making direct comparisons isn't always totally simple, I guess. But 
also, we don't really know how it's going to pan out with Sony and Jade Raymond. Is it it's Raymond, right? Not Redmond. Redmond's where Microsoft is. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, um, but uh, we don't know how it's going to pan out yet. It might end up, you know, they might end up not making a game like with EA, you know, but I don't uh, think that's going to be the case. I think, I, I think they'll make a game. I mean, like Herman Hulse said that like they one of the reasons why they wanted to invest was because like they're actually like ahead of schedule, which is not normal for the video game industry. So I think they'll make a game. I think you have two different approaches here. Like Haven seems to be more like how new studios are made in general, where it's like a bunch of friends who work together making a new studio. Right. Mm. Um, so everybody's kind of already, uh, worked with each other or know each other. So, you can sort of build that company bond, that company culture really quickly where I felt like the initiative was more like almost an experiment where it wasn't like Daryl Gallagher came in and hired a whole bunch of people from Crystal Dynamics that he worked with. He came in there and was like hiring people from Rockstar and Naughty Dog and Sony Santa Monica, like all the talent within that area instead of like hiring people that he was familiar with. At least that was the sense yeah. that I got where Haven was made up of people who worked with Jade at Google Stadia and also people that she worked with at Ubisoft. So like, it seemed like people, like people had worked with each other. They, they know each other. They know how everybody operates and how the workflow is um, versus the initiative, which kind of like almost seemed like they were trying to bit off, bite off more than they can chew. And it just kind of ended up, failing yeah. in to, to regard um, um i kind of get that impression too yeah i guess like I, I don't know i guess like maybe like uh wouldn't i don't know i wouldn't compare haven and sony to initiative and xbox i would compare like haven and sony to like um playground and xbox where oh yeah we're like that makes sense we're bizarre when bizarre creations closed a bunch of people from Bazaar who Microsoft had worked with, uh, they went and they formed Playground Games. And Microsoft like signed their first game with Forza Horizon. And then uh, you know, obviously after a few of their games, Microsoft purchased them. So I kind of view those more as the same. Where like you have friends at a studio, something happens, you leave, you headhunt your friends, they come to join, you build your own studio. And that's kind of the way I look at it. But I don't know. I mean, I... I'm not in the games industry, so maybe I'm completely wrong on that aspect. But, um, yeah, speaking of Sony, um, I don't know if you saw this, Jez. Uh, Spartacus, the Game Pass killer, is supposed to be revealed next week, according to Bloomberg. And supposed to be launching sometime in early April, potentially. Um, and there was even quote unquote, a leak of the pricing tiers that hit Reddit and Twitter today. I don't know if you saw those, uh, at all. Yeah, I did see those, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on all the, of, of Spartacus finally coming out? What, what are your, what are your expectations for it? Like it's a week, we're going to be getting it next week, maybe on a Tuesday. Uh, what are your expectations for it? Well, for PlayStation fans, I hope it actually delivers good value. But from what we've all heard, it's not going to have day one Sony games, is it? Sort of going to be more like EA Play, right? At least at launch it won't, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, at least in the initiative phase, 
it's kind of like it doesn't really, for me, give the same kind of value that Xbox Game Pass does. Like Xbox Game Pass, it's kind of like Netflix in that it, it gives you this sort of... You've got there's an expectation attached to Game Pass. I know all of these games from Microsoft are Xbox Game Pass originals, much like you know you got your Netflix originals. And I really do think Microsoft needs to ramp up, ramp up its marketing around that and brand its games as Xbox originals or something to reflect the to to piggyback on the the expectation that Netflix sets with with its shows, because when Sony comes out with its differentiator. Which is kind of like they're going to be banking on other 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 ways to deliver value. I think Microsoft would be smart to sort of play up the fact that you do get all these games, all of Microsoft's originals, Starfield, Elder Scrolls, and Fallout, and whatever. When those games do eventually come out, they should start working on ramping up that aspect of the marketing and the the value proposition. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. Ultimately, it's sort of it remains to be seen to what extent they actually do compete directly with each other. Like maybe, maybe there's a maybe there's a chance Sony's business model works better. Maybe it's more profitable, and maybe the reason Microsoft doesn't emphasize this guarantee that all the games will be day and date in there is because they're they're thinking maybe one day we won't be able to do this anymore. You know, maybe Microsoft thinks like one day maybe it won't be profitable to put the games in there day and date, especially if Sony doesn't do that and they find that they have more profitability profitability and success and maybe microsoft thinks we can deliver value in other ways without without necessarily cannibalizing our retail sales but microsoft also put out a ton of data to suggest that game pass doesn't cannibalize retail sales anyway and can actually like enhance them um through the viral marketing aspect and and that kind of stuff i don't know ultimately and nobody knows what how this is all going to play out because at the end of the day, um, um, this is all an experiment. Microsoft's constantly changing the way they do things. They're constantly looking at the data, adapting things, and changing things on the fly. Like they didn't market the fact that Tunic was going to be in Game Pass, even though that deal must have been done at least a few weeks ago, at least. You know, so maybe that's an experiment for them. Like, does Game Pass, if we don't announce it, does does it? help or hinder or you know affect the sales or whatever in what way and they'll look at all that data and start collating it and stuff so it's interesting to think about some of that stuff yeah so the um the stuff that was going around on social media today was playstation plus neo says playstation now will merge with playstation plus on april 7th choose a one three or 12 month recurring plan for each tier and there's four tiers here Right, and initially when I looked at this, I was just like, "This doesn't look right to me." The boxes seem off. It definitely seems like a Photoshop. But you know, some people are like, yeah. oh, "If this is real, then you know they screwed themselves." You got PlayStation Plus Bronze, which is online play and free game demos for ten dollars every three months, which you know would be like forty bucks or whatever, right? Um, PlayStation Plus Silver for online play, free game demos, and game streaming for $30 every three months. Uh, PlayStation Plus Gold, which is online play, free game demos, game streaming, monthly free games, and monthly store discounts for $40 every three months. And then PlayStation Plus Platinum, online play, free game demos, game streaming, monthly free games, monthly store discounts, exclusive offers at the PlayStation Store, 
Access to select PS3, PS4, and PS5 title streaming for $60 every three months. Um, I would say I'm going to go out and sound a limb and say this is all just fake. Uh, I yeah, can't I see this like... being the the pricing, let alone the tier structure uh, at all. So, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think this someone's just trying to like catch on to the hype the train trying to get their, you know, 15 minutes of fame because they know it's being revealed. But, um, I mean, from everything that we've heard, it definitely seems more like this is just them merging PlayStation now into PlayStation plus really. Um, and with no first party games being day and date, uh, at least at launch, uh, who knows in the future, because something like something like Jade Raymond's Haven game that's a live service multiplayer game, like that is a game you probably want in a subscription service, right? Yeah. Like, I would say so. So like, sure. Maybe a God of War Ragnarok, maybe, you know, you don't want that in there, but like if you're doing a live service game and the whole point of a live service game is to have as many people as possible play your game. So you can have the biggest user game, user base as possible, potentially spending money on microtransactions. It seems like, those would be the biggest candidates not only to be in a subscription service day one, but also being on PC day one. And we know that Haven is also making a game for PC. So while like they may not, you know, while like, you know, God of War may not be in, in, in Spartacus day one or whatever, but these live service games, I think there's a good chance those could not only launch in the subscription service, but also launch on PC day one. Cause the whole point is you want as many people as possible playing the game and spending his money, spending money. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll have to wait and see how how that all pans out. But I would not be surprised if that was the case because it just. I think the the chip shortage as well is definitely going to have an impact on Sony's willingness to support PC because, like, in a world where they can't manufacture enough PlayStations to get them into people's hands and then a world where microsoft is basically like yeah all our games are on pc you know day and day no problem sony's leaving money on the table ultimately and you know we've seen games like horizon hit the top of the steam charts really relatively easily even in busy busy months with you know games like Elden competing against games like Elden ring did really well and obviously from software has a massive massive install base and fan base on PC and even bigger now, thanks to the popularity of Elden Ring, it still held its own, you know, in a, in a better period, in a quiet month, um, Horizon probably would have done even better. And Sony has to like, uh, look at some of that data, you know? Yeah. Not Uh, Horizon, sorry. Um, God of War and, you know, the games they did put on PC, (laughs) they put Horizon one on PC, but, um, have you heard anything? You know, like, have you heard anything about Spartacus? I have, you know, actually I have, but Ooh. off the top of my head, I can't remember. I can't remember what I was said, and I need to try and find the information. But someone did come to me with some information about um, Spartacus. Like one of the things I was told that it was coming in June, which obviously contradicts today's information that it's coming in April. So maybe the information I got wasn't accurate anyway. But I don't know if if they do announce that it's coming in June, then that sort of adds credence to my information that I got, um, which means you know, well, no, it's all going to be revealed. If anyway, it's being so revealed so. next week, I can't see them holding off until June to have it uh, 
come out. So, yeah. We'll, yeah I, I guess we'll find out next week. We'll talk about what we think of uh, what they're offering. Uh, Achievement in the Super Chat says, if Haven ships something before the initiative, Rare or Playground, that's a that's going to look bad on Xbox or even Matt Booty's part. Um, I mean, mm. Playground's, I don't know, Playground's released five Forza Horizon, five Forza Horizon games. Um, yeah, they're taking their time on, on, on Fable. Uh, Rare, you know, they put out, what, Sea of Thieves, and they're taking their time on Everwild. Maybe it looks bad on the initiative because, you know, the initiative was built in 2018, whereas Haven, I think, was built last year, so maybe that looks bad if, if perfect dark is not out by, uh, the time, uh, Haven ships their game, uh, that might look bad, but I don't know about the other ones. It's not like, it's not like rare didn't put out sea of thieves and it continues to update the game like every three months with, uh, new seasons and stuff. Playground just, I mean, they're going to put out another Forza horizon in three years and have a fable game out. So I think maybe it looks bad for the initiative. I don't know. Um, do you, you think differently on this one, Jez? Or I don't know. It's every game's different, so it's kind of like you know. Ultimately, until the games actually come out and we know what the scope of them are, it's hard to like say like is this right and stuff. You know, people people said they didn't want Microsoft to do crunch culture, and this is what happens when you don't do crunch culture. You know. Yeah, can you have true. can you have a big triple A can you have games launching rapidly and super rapidly without super crunch, you know, crazy hours, workloads and stuff like that? Is it possible? I don't know, because I'm not a game dev and I'm I've certainly not shipped a game in a crunch culture environment. So I don't know. Uh if you are a game dev listening to this stuff and you know you want to talk talk about it and you know let me know. I'm, my DMs are open. But I, uh, you can't have one or the other, I kind of feel like. If you, if you want to work your devs to death so you can have a game every couple of years, a big game, like a Naughty Dog kind of scope, then maybe the, the, the downside is that it's long hours, long hours to work and stuff. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, Gamer by Choice says it's nice to know games are coming out, but after that, I really don't need much information on the game until I can pre-order and gameplay. Content creators may want more information shared. Great show. And uh, Jack Cass says Xbox Game Pass uh, should have a place should have a place something button. Too many choices. I believe it increases player involvement. I actually do think they have that uh, that randomized button where you can press and it'll play something random from Game Pass or something yeah, random that you have do. installed from game pass i'm pretty sure yeah they do they do have this random play choose something random it's in the the game library and it's if you're on pc it's in the game pass app so they do have something akin to that see humdrum, that's exactly what you want but humdrum says i'm gonna be straight up honest i don't care if devs crunch doesn't impact me and it's like i said last week most people they don't care how the hot dog is made they don't want to know how the hot dog's made. Yeah. They just want the hot dog. You know, they, they, they just want the, they just, they just, they don't care how stuff is made, you know? So it's just like, just give me the end Well, product. that's, that's one reason. That's one reason why Microsoft's buying so many studios 
is because if you, if you have lots of studios to the point where you can have a big game every quarter without crunch, then that's the holy grail, right? Yes, that is the Isn't holy it? grail. I would have yes. thought. So you can I mean, have we you don't, can we keep don't... people at the studios, you know, have them actually want to stay there instead of burning themselves out, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't actually know what their plan is for some of this stuff. I don't know if um, how hardcore they are thinking about being anti-crunch because I'm, I'm sure, like, if someone wanted to work forty hours a week, it's not like they'd be like, "No, don't do that," you know. Um, I'm sure my company certainly doesn't stop me working <laughs> forty hours a week, or uh, not a week. Uh, I'm, con- I'm contracted for 40 hours, but like I work weekends as well. You know, and they don't stop me from doing that. So, yeah, 40 hours a week is probably an, a standard working week. But like some of these devs talk about crunching like 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Um, so. GDC was also this week, and Microsoft uh, talked a little bit about Game Pass. Sarah Bond, Phil Spencer had like a round table, and um, some of the things that Phil said. Uh, was that he gets this question a lot from developers that if um, if you're not in the Game Pass, then it's not viable to be on Xbox. He goes, Phil said, I also want to make clear to people out there uh, that are out there uh, that uh, for us at Xbox, there's no, there's not just one business model that we think is going to win. I often get asked by developers, if I'm not in a subscription, am I just not viable on Xbox anymore? And it's absolutely not true. Like, we look at retail of people selling games, buying games. It's an important part of our profit and loss statement. You know that. And it's something that we invest resources in to enable our developers developers to do great work there. Um, and this is where I sometimes contrast against other forms of media that we get compared to, whether it's music, whether it's video, and the models have really condensed down to maybe one or two business models that are working. I fundamentally believe... Strength for us in video games business is the diversity of business models and the strength of those. Uh, definitely in Team Xbox, we invest in business models that developers are asking for and ensuring that those are flourishing so that every year we see great new experiences that come to our platforms that might never have been built if the business model capability wasn't there uh, on our platform. Do I want or do I envision everybody who's on Xbox being a Game Pass subscriber? I don't. I want people to make their own choice. Some people want to buy all the games we ship and create their own library. And subscriptions give you a good continual re- revenue stream, and that's an important thing for any business on, type of sp- on top of spikes that you can, you'll get around certain retail releases. That's why I talk about it really being a mix of things. It's not about one muscling out the other. Um, and then ID at Xbox came out and said that they've paid out like $2.5 billion in uh, revenue to... Uh, independent creators which is that's a lot that's a lot so i think they last reported was like 500 million in 2017 or whatever or 2018 um yeah so they're they talk about all this they even released some graphs uh where um game pass members are willing to invest in their experiences by uh saying members spend 50 percent more than lookalike users but then again like what's a lookalike user i don't really know um, and spend is spend is higher across all types of transactions. So, a Game Pass user will spend sixty percent more on games, fifty forty percent more on add-ons, and forty five percent more on uh, consumables. Um, 
Members try new games. Members play games across 30% more genres after joining Game Pass. Uh, Xbox Store research shows gamers often settle into a handful of familiar franchises and genres. In addition, 90% of members tell us they played games they otherwise wouldn't have tried without Game Pass. Um, Game Pass has contributed to the growth of independent developers and publishers, like I mentioned, ID at Xbox, and they showcase the growth from 2016 to 2020, um, which is uh, you know good to see. And that members explore more games. Members play 40% more titles after joining Game Pass, which... I don't know, so most of these, like, graphs and stuff they've talked about, the GDC of stuff they've already mentioned before, right? So none of that's really mm-hmm. new. Um, but um, it's just kind of going to reinforce that, like, you know, Game Pass is not only beneficial for Xbox, but potentially beneficial to you. You know, whether it's, like, the big third-party games or from you know, uh, big AAA third-party games or, like, the indie games or for the games that have microtransactions and stuff that people, you know, will go and spend money on it considering they don't have to buy the games, right? Well, I know you were on vacation, but did you read any of this stuff from Phil or any of the graphs that came out <clears throat> from it? I didn't. I didn't. Um, uh, I was on, like I say, I was on vacation, so I missed a lot of this stuff. And um, as a result, I sort of, you know, I don't have a huge amount of feedback to offer on that stuff, but um, I don't know. It's it sounds like they. It sounds like to me they have a lot of criticism and maybe skepticism and nervousness from some of their devs about you know what it means to be if they're not in Game Pass and stuff, and whether that's fair or not. You know, I don't know because I, you know, I haven't seen the balance sheet of every dev out there. There's like some devs who just aren't on Game Pass and they're never on Game Pass, and they don't want to be on Game Pass for whatever reason, um, or they haven't been invited to be on Game Pass. But um, I don't know. It sounds like they want to sort of elim- reduce some of these concerns with some of the stats they put out, but at the same time, it's like if you're not invited to be in game pass you can't just be in game pass you sort of like you know i'm sure microsoft will engage with the dev about whether or not they can be in game pass but a lot of the time they're just sort of like i think that microsoft will approach the dev first you know and be like yeah we um we want we want your game in game pass and whatever and stuff like that so Mm. i don't know I would. It would be interesting to find out how a how a dev actually gets into Game Pass in the first place, and to what extent they can opt into it. You know, because obviously Microsoft pays upfront money for that stuff. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, I I wonder I wonder how many people like the questions you get from developers. I I think it's an interesting question that Phil leads off the whole thing with like developers coming to him and asking if like we're not in the subscription service are we just not viable on xbox because that would imply that you know there there's some developers speaking to other other developers being like uh yeah like if if you're not in game pass then like nobody's gonna buy your stuff on xbox which is a fear that i see some people talk about on twitter like 
is Xbox training their users to wait for games to come to Game Pass and not buy them directly, right? Like, look at like a recent big release, uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, came out for sixty dollars uh, around. I think it was October, but you know, all you had to do was wait four months and you can play it on Game Pass through your subscription. Not to mention, like, all the first you know day one you know indie games that launch in the service. Is there some concern that Xbox users aren't buying games anymore and they're just waiting for? Uh, Game Pass titles, and I think you know part of the reasons why Xbox releases this information is to show that that's not the case. And in fact, like you actually get more engagement if you if you're you know all these different things. And that I don't know. It's um, I think it's also I think it's it's really important. the The most important thing that Phil said, the best thing he said, was that there's no there's no single business model for us. And if you look at Microsoft, that is literally their entire company ethos. Like if you look at companies like Netflix and Spotify, their entire business is revolves around one specific thing. Like Netflix is revolves entirely around movie streaming, which is why they're trying to diversify a little bit by looking at games acquisitions they can make. And um, you know, Spotify revolves entirely around music. They have no other aspect to their business, you know. Whereas Microsoft is like this octopus where they've got like the cloud, they've got Windows PC, they've got patent licensing, they got security and business uh apps and they've got the whole developer platform you know game stack and azure and they've got loads and loads of different things so mike phil's just applying the microsoft model of being a diverse business and meeting people where they are to the xbox business so they're going to keep making consoles for people who want consoles they're going to do subscription services for people who want subscription they're going to do cloud services for people who don't want a console they're going to bring their games to pc for people who don't want the cloud or a console and you know that's why like when a lot of a lot of these analysts have said like oh microsoft's going to stop making consoles they they fundamentally show a misunderstanding of the whole microsoft mission which is to meet people where they are no matter where they are you know one single if you know, one single part of the business isn't super profitable. It doesn't matter because they've got all these other business models that are maybe are more profitable and they can sort of, you know, look at the margins on one business and be happy with that. And then like accept lower margins on another part of the business, which is why I think they do gears of war. Like gears of war might be, might not be as popular as it once was in Europe and America, but it's still very popular in, um, South America and some other some other places. So where Microsoft might be thinking, like an analyst, an analyst brain will probably be thinking like, oh well, they should just they should just get rid of Gears of War because it's not as popular as Halo. But that's not how Microsoft thinks. It's like look at State of Decay. State of Decay didn't do that well Metacritic, and it probably didn't sell that many copies. But the the fan base is stuck with the game and in perpetuity, and they've got like a nice little community there. So like the margins on the game might not be amazing, but they clearly drive some engagement in Game Pass, and it sort of becomes a piece of a wider sort of whole, you know. And um, I think that's good, you know, to not to want to restrict your business to one business model. It's one one thing that makes me nervous about my company is that we focus entirely on Google SEO and Microsoft. Google could one just one day a piece of EU legislation could drop one day and just ban Google from passing you know, search traffic or something and it kill business, kill our business overnight. Cause we don't have any diversity in the business model, you know? So, um, that's Microsoft being smart. 
but it's also good for consumers as well because it means like we're not gonna they're not gonna force us to give up our consoles they're not gonna force us to play a console they're gonna meet you where you are and i think that's a good way to be if you're a big company indeed um tb who's been a member for six months says have they given a release date for scalebound is game pass sustainable are activision games going to be exclusive love the show lads uh yes all these uh it wouldn't be an xbox 2 episode without a mention of scalebound of course and of uh, game pass <laughs> being sustainable uh oh man love 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 those topics indeed uh onyx says i feel like sony yeah, needs to, to do ragnarok day yeah. one on playstation and pc just to see just to try and see at this point they should just just to try and see at this point they just dumb after Elden Ring's success on PC. Um, yeah, part of Elden Ring's big success is the whole PC side of things. Uh, Microsoft has also seen a lot of success on PC as well. I think Sony is taking um they're taking uh you know like kind of their they're putting their like big toe into the into the the sauna into the pool and being like. We were going to do this, but we don't want to jump in right away. So we're just kind of ease ourselves in, right? Um, so maybe they feel like God of War isn't the best game to do that with, but they'll do it with Last of Us 2 multiplayer or something, or one of these live service games where, you know, the whole business model is we need as many people playing as possible. So let's launch it day one on PC. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I wonder, I wonder if Sony is looking at like, what happened between Elden Ring, Elden Ring and Horizon Forbidden West, where Elden Ring came out and the discussions surrounding Horizon Forbidden West just completely died off. And taking a look at, like, the sales metrics of both and being like, maybe we should have launched this game day one on PC. How much more, you know, uh, how many how many more sales would we have gotten if we did this day one on PC instead of waiting six months to a year? Because the more people playing the game, the more people talking about it, right? Elden Ring is like dominated. There's, there's the no downside. Well, I mean, like the downside is what to them probably the downside would be uh, hypothetically uh, they would not sell as many consoles as they could, but they can't even produce any but consoles cons- right now. I know, <laughs> I know, right? So, what would have in been a, the in downside? A different, yeah, in a different market, in a different era. Then yeah, they they should probably think about it. Like, how will this affect PlayStation sales? But man, it's gonna be years before they can meet demand on that shit. Well, years. You also gotta you know. figure, you know, it's it's just like, you know, these ports of games just don't happen magically. Maybe like they already had it in their production pipeline of like, all right, Horizon Forbidden West, we're on PS PS5, and then, you know, it wasn't planned, uh, you know, for the PC version to come out for a year and. You know, with and it just it just wouldn't have been ready anyways. You know what I mean? Like the PC version yeah. wouldn't have been ready to launch alongside of it. So it was just kind of like, all right, whatever. But you know, it just because I saw a lot of I I saw a lot of people talking. Like even yesterday, I saw like a someone from Xbox talk about it who probably shouldn't have tweeted it. I don't know if you saw that, but um, Mm-mm. yeah, like Elden like the Elden Ring just took. It just basically <laughs> sucked the room, sucked sucked the air out of the room for everything. Like that was the only game people wanted to talk about. It was the only game that was being talked about on YouTube. Uh, like you said, you had you, your traffic on your website, Windows Central, which is predominantly Xbox focused. 
you were pulling up major views on Elden Ring articles, right? More so than dude, dude, our traffic doubled, doubled, doubled. yeah, on Elden Ring alone. You know, and we our focus isn't Xbox. Our focus is Windows. Well, Windows, but most I mean, of our you traffic know. is too. You know what I mean. Most by of our that. traffic is Windows related, like historically. It's not gaming. Like the game gaming historically was something we did on the side at Windows Central. But you know, times have changed and gaming has become such a huge force across everything. Like uh, Windows Central's traffic has flipped from being like huge I mean, it's still pretty big on the Windows side, but it, the the amount of traffic we get through gaming is just been huge now. And part of that is because of how well Xbox has been doing too, you know. Yeah, I don't really see any any downside to launching your game on PC day one. I think it only benefits it. Yeah, um, there's no there's no downside in my view. So uh, yeah, um, the other thing that had happened at GDC was Xbox announced a. New publishing division, Jazz. A new cloud publishing division led by um, Kim Swift, who joined last year as the cloud gaming director. And um, she was the project lead and designer of uh, Portal before working as a designer on Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2. And recently she was game design director at Stadia, but obviously, you know, <laughs> Stadia, Stadia, <laughs> so people leave. And she joined Xbox, and it sounds kind of like Xbox is giving her this new cloud gaming organization, uh, which, according to Microsoft, the division works with studios to develop cloud-native titles and brings them exclusively to the Xbox ecosystem. Um, Mm. uh, Swift explained that the division's mandate is to partner with world-class game development teams to develop cloud native games to bring unpre- unpre- I can't speak unprecedented experiences to players that can only be achieved with cloud technology. Um, so what do you think about this? Is this kind of like the future cloud native games? I mean, cuz you got you have a lot of publishing divisions at Xbox now. You got Xbox Game Studios, that Matt Booty runs, the 15 Studios, right from 343 the coalition all the way down to ninja theory and obsidian right you have bethesda's publishing arm uh and their studios uh you know presumably you're gonna add activision's uh publishing arm uh when this deal goes through you also have xbox global publishing which does stuff with like uh independent studios uh like avalanche is contraband uh as does falls um you know, you've talked about Project Dragon with Ion Interactive and all these other projects that you and Jeff Grubb leak every other week. Um, but now there's going to be <laughs> another division within Xbox, I think within Global Publishing, of cloud gaming, which, you know, wants to bring these cloud-first titles to Xbox. What do you make of this? Um, I need to look into this more before I can give a full picture on it. I'll probably write about it next week. But I do remember one of the things that was written was something kind of like, we're still not sure what this looks like. And that's really the kicker, isn't it? The only the only introduction we've had really to cloud native games is Crackdown, which was pretty much an unmitigated disaster. So 
I'd say cloud native games have a lot to prove from a you know go, moving beyond the buzzwords context, you know, and then it's kind of like they say, well, what is a cloud native game? Is World of Warcraft a cloud native game? The whole game runs on servers. You can't play it offline. Everyone's connected to a dedicated server. So is that a cloud native game? Is that what a cloud native game looks like? All the game, all the all the aspects of WoW are on the cloud. You know, like I can access the auction house on my phone. I can I can send my minions, you know, like World of Warcraft has an Assassin's Creed Brotherhood kind of system where you can send minions on little missions and shit. I can do that off my phone. Is that what makes is is that a cloud native game? If that is what cloud native game represents, then they already exist. Why do we need a separate publishing division for it? So there's a lot of weird questions about this. And I guess one of one of the aspects of it is maybe marketing for Azure GameStack. Which is what GDC is often really oriented around, is um, pushing Azure GameStack, which is obviously makes Microsoft a lot of money, and um, it's one of the things that funds the Xbox division. Ultimately, is um, is the Azure Dev platform, which is good good for us because it means Xbox stays profitable, and shareholders are happy because it means that you know um, they can boast about all the all the cloud stuff that they do and how much money all that shit makes. But um, on the flip side, what the hell does a cloud native game mean? You know, how is it? How how exactly is it any different? How exactly is it any different from what we've already got? You know, so there's that thing that I'm slightly confused about, and it's one thing that I might ask. I might hit a Microsoft and ask them, just literally ask them outright. Can you give me some real sort of information? on what this actually means because as far as i can tell it's still all just a load of buzzwords you know um for better or worse so i'm interested and it's a good thing that they are trying to explore this but does it mean anything really i don't know does it mean we'll get good games i have no idea i want to believe that it means good games but so far, our only example is Crackdown, which is not a great game. So, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Someone needs to figure out what this looks like. Yeah, PixelBitG says, isn't Flight Sim considered cloud native? Uh, I believe exactly. That's, it is. That's the thing. Yes. No, I, I think... well, that's the thing. They, they, they talk about cloud native when it suits them, really. Like, they'll, they'll, say, My- they'll say Minecraft's a cloud native game. Is it a cloud native game? I, I mean, I guess, but... You know, it's 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 all strange and well. A cloud native and... it says a cloud native games use the cloud to process certain parts of the game, such as physics, lighting environments, or AI. This has a number of potential uses, such as freeing up processing power in a home console or making sure that players joining an online world can get all the same synchronized experience. Um, but the games do that already, like World of Warcraft. Yeah. So Swift said that cloud gaming still in its infancy. At the time when Netflix it's not. Was, well, this is, I'm just, I'm just, years old. I'm just saying this is what she said. At the time when Netflix was formed, <laughs> internet speeds were not what they needed in order to send packets fast enough to support streaming. So instead, they sent physical packets in the mail in the form of DVDs, and they had to wait for technology to catch up with their vision. But they were ready for it. Swift says she sees the future of cloud gaming falling into three separate categories: ubiquity, cloud AI, and runtime calculations. According to Swift, ubiquity. The ability to stream games on any device, even th- even though that wouldn't be powerful enough to run them natively, is the low-hanging fruit for cloud content. 
Cloud AI, meanwhile, will advance what developers can do by using technology like machine learning, natural language processing, and reinforcement learning. Um, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. Um, I guess, you know, we need to learn more because, you know, it wasn't like there was any, like, games given as an example or anything. Just kind of like, oh, here's what we're doing. We got a new division. And who knows when we would see any of this stuff. So, you know. This is exactly what I'm talking about. It's like cutting through the buzzwords and finding the meat. When you're telling me a cloud native game is in its infancy, but World of Warcraft is literally that, and World of Warcraft's coming up to it's coming up to twenty years old, man. And that, it's always been dedicated servers since the game launched. Is that a cloud native game? I don't know. Does it does it have to, does does cloud native mean that it's also a streaming game or, or what? You know. <laughs> oh man. That's why, like, I'm still, I'm still skeptical about what exactly this stuff means because it does seem to me like a lot of buzzwords, which doesn't mean anything for the end user at the at the moment. So, yeah, that's where I'm at with cloud games. Yeah, fair enough. Fair World enough. Warcraft does all that shit. It does all that shit. It ticks all those boxes. I don't know. Um. Let's see. Um. New, new new Witcher game was announced, Jez. Um, yeah, it was. What do you think which about this? Which is ditching their engine and using Unreal Engine 5, which I thought was uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, red engine. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised they're going back to Witcher. I mean, it's their moneymaker. It's their breadwinner. I am surprised they're using Unreal Engine 5, though. And it's also another game that's announced in a blog post. Like, there seems to be so many of these games recently just announced in a tweet or blog post. Normally, something like this is announced in a CGI trailer at someone's showcase. But it seems like they, you know, the hiring uh, for these games is, uh, you need to announce them beforehand. I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of weird. Like, so it's, many. i tell you what it is, I think. It's it's the hybridized work model. Like before, you could hire people and you bring them into your office and then they live in your office and you can control the information, you know, get them to sign NDAs and do all that kind of stuff. I mean, you'd still do that remotely, but I, I feel like yeah, it's, to, it's harder to control information when, you know, you're working with a load of remote workers who are probably contractors and stuff like that. Like, you know, you can't, you can't issue them company hardware, company devices and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of like, it makes it harder to control information, which I suppose has an effect on, you know, how you can actually just announce your games. Like, do you, do you even bother trying keeping it secret at that point? Or do you just wait for a contractor to, you know, intentionally or even accidentally just leak it through through their, um, you know, through their setup? So I think that's that's where a lot of this comes from, probably. But I don't know. It'd be interesting to see uh, what. But what the... do you think about about? What? Why do you think it's weird that they're ditching Unreal? I don't What's know. Why would they that? be ditching Unreal? Or why would they be ditching their own engine uh, ditching... to run it's to red, run Unreal? Their, their engine's called the the Red Engine, if I remember correctly. Maybe. I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe they uh, Epic wants to show developers that. Unreal can do open world games. 
And what's bigger open world yeah, game I, than Witcher? I think there was um there's there's a perception in the industry that the Unreal Engine can't do it can't do open world games because of the way it streams assets and stuff. Um, a developer told me recently that the Witcher engine is way better at sort of streaming assets for an open world game than Unreal Engine 4 was. But now we're on Unreal Engine 5, and one of the it, it was no it was no sort of it was no it was it was no accident that that Matrix thing was an open world demo the Unreal Engine 5 demo because they want to they want to change the perception that Unreal Engine can't do open world and it can't do asset streaming. And um you know Gears Gears of War 4 uh, 5 sorry had those open world sections but they're very very small. And the reason they were small is because Unreal Engine can't handle anything bigger and they had to have these massive doors which were basically loading screens. And as you traveled around the the, the semi-open world area, you you hit these loading screens that were like either these massive doors or those sections where you slowly squeeze through an opening and stuff like that. It's um, that's uh, all on the Unreal Engine. But supposedly the new Unreal Engine is better at it. So I suppose um, there are, there are a couple of aspects to this. First of all, I think probably the Witcher team. Lost a lot of its devs that were responsible for the Red Engine, and um, after the Cyberpunk debacle, and uh, probably for them, offloading some of that technology, technological stuff, to um, our friends at Epic Games, it might might just be a pure cold logic thing where it's like, well, we lost a lot of our architects. I mean, this is speculation, by the way. I don't know if this is the case, but like. If you if you're them and you're thinking like do we do we hire people back who can do this stuff or do we just leverage partner up with Epic Games and they get to market their engine and we get expertise um, out of the box and stuff and maybe the studios change so much that having having expertise with a, a sort of a more agnostic engine is probably a better way forward. Because like if you lost people who've got specific experience with your engine and you have to train them up on an engine they never used before, then it becomes a problem. But if you switch into the Unreal Engine, a lot of devs are probably trained on that because they you know learned that at university and they learned it at other game dev studios and stuff. It's just it's just the engine that's out there. So if you're having to hire new people because you lost half your staff because you nearly blew up your own company, um, I'd, say, I'd say that's that's a, probably an aspect to it as well. It is it is a bit weird, but I guess it's also not weird when you think about some of that some of those aspects, but I don't know. It is what it is, and ultimately at the end of the day, the engine doesn't matter. Because as long as we get a good game out of it. But I feel also at the same time I feel like it adds risk because you know, you have sort of um uh, uh like State of Decay, for example. They switched from the Cry engine to the Unreal engine and uh they weren't familiar with it and it really shows. And um, also, Bioware famously switched from its in-house engine to to the Unreal Engine for Mass Effect One, and Mass Effect One is not a, the most performant Unreal Engine game in the world. But then you go to Mass Effect Two, and the, the difference is truly gargantuan. Like the the difference in quality after they got some experience with the engine and hired more people with experience with the engine was really big. So, like, obviously, there there runs the risk of like, will switching engine affect the quality of the game? 
we've seen it time and time again. We've seen it with Battlefield, you know, not Battlefield, sorry. We saw it again with Bioware being forced to use the Frostbite engine, which is why the next next Mass Effect is on a real engine <laughs> again. And um, so, I don't know. But at the end of the day, if there's a good game comes out of it, that's all that matters for us as end users. And um, so is, time uh, will tell. How- who's going to be the main character? Because that wasn't... Uh... That was the lynx. That wasn't uh, a wolf. Like, yeah, uh, so... Yeah, House of the... What is it? Because, like, the, the different school... The different witcher schools, you got, like, the school of the... School of the wolf and school of the something else and school of the whatever. And then, like, the school of the lynx seems to have been created for the games. Like, I don't think that was in the books. So that's, like, a new thing. So it's, it, might, it might even just be new characters completely. Or maybe it like handles new characters, new areas, um, you know, parts of the world that haven't been explored in the games yet. There's like there's like a huge amount of lore they could tap into with the Witcher books, and obviously they probably want to seek some differentiation from the TV show, uh, maybe potentially. Um, obviously, they've got exclusive rights to use the license for the the games. Um, which the author is famously not super happy about, but <laughs> um, it's interesting to think what they could do with it because there's you know there's loads of stuff they could do with it potentially, and I guess it's going to be a long time before we see it though I would expect. But I want to know where's the Cyberpunk DLC, man? And they've done a lot of they've done a lot of good work on Cyberpunk, and it's now like it's now in what I would call a complete. You know, I've recommended the base game on PC, but even on Xbox now. I think it's in a completely, you know, optimal state, and it's still way better than most open world games out there. And if you haven't played Cyberpunk, I think, and you're on Xbox, I think now's the time. But I kind of wanted DLC for Cyberpunk as well. I want more features too, like transmog system. Going, God, that game needs a transmog system so bad. But, you and your love for Cyberpunk. What can I say? I like good games. It's a damn good game. Yeah, I can imagine this Witcher game is probably a few years out, right? So, yeah, three years maybe. Yeah. Will we even be here in three years? Around? Will we still be doing the show in three years? I mean, Episode do, do the people want us to still be doing the show in three years from now? I mean, you know? yeah, that's ultimately it. If they well, want us to do it, I know. Well, I mean, I'm, we're almost it, approaching it? our five-year anniversary. We started like April of 2017, Jeez. and that's next month. It'll be five, <laughs> five years. Year do people do people oh, want man. do people want the Xbox Two to go on for another three years? I don't know. Uh, but yeah. I, I think uh, I think that's where we're gonna end the show uh, for today. Thank you guys for being here, and uh, you know whether you're lurking, chatting, or send in super chats we appreciate you um make sure you hit the like button on your way out and if you have any questions make sure to smash that like button yeah make sure you uh put any questions you want us to answer in the in the chat and we will do our best and uh don't forget code xb2 at manscape.com for 20 percent off everything free shipping if you uh want to treat yourself or a friend uh, Michael Mooney in the super chat says, "Imagine a cl- imagine a console sharing resources to a power co-op game, then scale that game to run over multiple servers without any negative impact or performance. That's a cloud game." Um, mm. I don't know. What does that even mean? 
I don't. I guess we'd have to <laughs> see it being done because it's just to me. This is like okay. Well, that sounds interesting, but like, what? What's the benefit? Like, what what's what the does benefit it mean for, for me? the end user? And what? What is the benefit of taking off native computer? Is like have to see some of that stuff. I mean, they always said that Titanfall's AI creeps were, you know, the AI for those were offloaded to the cloud, but did it actually matter that much? It's 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 hard to say because in a way, it's kind of like if the cloud's doing its job, then it's seamless. You don't know it, I guess. Which is but then it makes it almost weird that it's being announced that it's its own thing. I, I don't know, it's 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 strange and a noble, kind of like an NFT, you know? Yeah. Um, we should sell some Xbox 2 NFTs around. We should. We definitely should. Well, yeah. Let's see. What else we got here? Uh, Widia says, do you have any books inside? Do you have any books inside you inside of you you want to write? Eh, no, not really. Um, I'm not a very creative person, so, like, I don't really have, I don't know, like any of the stories I would think of are probably way too inspired by the stories I've read that were, they wouldn't be really unique. But no, I've never actually thought about writing a story or anything, so. I actually wrote a book once. Oh, really? When I was, um, well, well, it, it was more like a novella, I guess. It was like 80 pages long. I was about 12 years old, and uh, basically it was a ripoff of Resident Evil 3. Oh, okay. <laughs> consciously or not yeah well it was conscious it had nemesis in it it also had pyramid head in it <laughs> and uh zombie apocalypse god it, reading it back now it would be so cringe but i'm i'm glad that no copies of it still exist because that'd be so cringy i have to think about like could i write a book you know because i write all the time i've written literally millions of words for windows central millions of words and um i wasn't thinking about that could i write a book should I try and write a book? I don't know. I can't mm. focus enough. So I like blog posts because like a thousand words and then you're done. Write a book. That's like effort. You know? That's a lot of effort. Uh, Marky Kelly says, Rand, what's your thoughts on Horizon Forbidden West? I uh, haven't played it, so I don't really have any thoughts on it. Um, Are you okay. planning on playing it? Yeah, I mean, I bought it, so like I'm going to play it at some point. It's just a matter of what do I do with the first one. game? Do I play through the first game on like super easy difficulty just to experience the story and then play the second one. Do I skip the first game and just like watch like a recap on YouTube or something about the story elements I'm trying mm. to decide what would be the best way to go about it. Um, everyone's idol Goro says, Jez, what's better? What's a better immersive sim R RPG cyberpunk or prey? Oh man. I honestly have to say prey. I think overall, for me personally, I preferred Prey to Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is maybe over-ambitious. I think one of the reasons that I really enjoyed it was because, and I said this before, I played as a Netrunner, specifically as a Netrunner. And um, I thought the net the Netrunner gameplay was really, really cool. Like, you'd stealth, you can... Um, uh, you can just hack people from across the room. It was a really unique way of playing. It felt kind of like almost a bit like watchdogs where you hack the cameras and you can attack people remotely in some capacity, but it went even further than that. Like towards the end of cyberpunk, if you're a net runner, you get a spell where you can, you can like control someone's cybernetics and make them shoot themselves. 
And I just thought, I've never seen anything like that in a game. It was really, really cool and stuff like that. Like you're like this ultimate hacker to the point where you can do some of this stuff. That being said, some of the other playstyles, at least at launch, and like I would discover later from reading other people's reviews, because obviously I didn't have enough time to play more than one playstyle. I just sort of hoped that all the playstyles would be good. But so the other playstyles were just not that great. Like the shooting wasn't that good. And um the uh the sort of they, they pushed the whole cyborg ninja thing a lot in the trailers like you'd be a cyborg ninja stealthing around and stuff like that but even that wasn't that good there were no like this in fact there's still no executions using a katana which i think is really strange in a game where you want to you want to push this fantasy of being a cyborg ninja like raiden or something you can't stealth kill people with a katana which is so strange to me but they have improved a lot of that stuff over time but I felt like Prey, Prey's gameplay, gameplay was polished and focused from the from the off. And yeah, you can argue that it had less different ways to play, potentially. Like in Prey, you could basically either play as a, a stealth dude or a, maybe more of a heavy, focusing on weapons. Or you could also play, uh, I mean, this is like minor five-year-old spoilers, I guess, but you can sort of play as an alien you can like you eventually unlock the ability to splice your dna with the aliens and then you can get all the wacky powers like turning into a coffee cup and stuff like that um you get that fairly early on so it's not really a spoiler i guess but um they're already focused and like i guess the the lack of not the the lack of sort of overexerting themselves benefited prey in, in a way that i feel like cyberpunk kind of maybe was over ambitious in some ways and also they mismarketed it i think a lot of people expected that game to be grand theft auto i think yes i think a lot like, of i watched some of the a lot of the videos i saw that were criticizing cyberpunk were basically basically they were like this isn't gta you know a lot of people were expecting that game to be gta and i think that's where a lot of the backlash came from honestly because they marketed like it was going to be GTA. I was expecting Deus Ex. I was not expecting GTA. And for the most part, I felt like it was a great Deus Ex-like game, personally. Um, and it's honestly one of my favorite games. It was my game of the year that year, easily. And, um, you know, some of the stuff you do in it, some of the quests are just incredible, super memorable. There's a quest called Pyramid Song, which, you know, I'm not going to spoil, but it was just absolutely mesmerizing. And also it had like Radiohead in the, in the, um, a Radiohead reference in there as well. So I was just like, yeah, this is an amazing game and it's going to be memorable for me forever. But, you know, sadly, some things don't pan out the way you want them to, eh? Yeah. Um, Tito wants to know if there's any new leaks for Xbox projects, Jez. Hmm, that's interesting. Mm. That's an interesting topic. Um, I recently found out that the Age of Mythology franchise is not dead. Is that so, why you tweeted about it and Jeff Grubb retweeted you and said, huh, would be cool, huh? Kind of. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, I, I, Age of Mythology, like, for those that don't know, Age of Mythology is kind of like the sort of more fantasy version of Age of Empires. You play as like ancient Egyptians, you play as um, like with, and you can summon their gods and use their god powers and stuff. It had more like, I don't know, almost a Warcrafty kind of feel because it had magic in it. 
and I honestly preferred that style, like toward to, towards the sort of straight uh, historical gameplay. I thought the 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 magic and the the comet spells and the super weapons you could use as a result of it being more like um, more uh, I don't know fantasy based. I thought that made it more interesting, and um, apparently people at Microsoft uh, think that it was pretty interesting too because it does seem that the franchise is going to be revived in some way in the future so incoming articles jazz Corden confirms age of mythology coming back maybe maybe i mean uh, plans can change plans can change humdrum so, says you know, uh, it, any chances any chances crimson skies returns by a sobo i mean uh, mm, who knows i haven't heard anything to that effect have you played crimson skies uh, I don't think I have. No, I don't think I don't think I I don't think I actually played that game when it was. It's like a combat flight sim, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, so. it probably it probably would make sense to some degree to, I don't know, make a sort of something that would use that engine, but make something that would appeal to pe- people like me who want the violence. <laughs> so, um, you know. Maybe they could uh, bring it back. I don't know, but yeah. I'm not sure how popular those games were. The, the Microsoft made a lot of accessories for Flight Simulator. It'd be a shame if they went to waste, right? It'd be cool if they did something also, like those um, guys. Yeah. But also, like, I don't think Star Wars Squadrons did that well, which obviously, like would be probably a good test case for the appetite for that stuff. Because Star Wars, Star Wars Squadrons was a really good game. It really was. Maybe, and it was also like a really big IP. So it's kind of like, you know, if that game doesn't do well, when it's like, you know, everything, they did everything right, it's kind of like, would Crimson Skies do well, given that Star Wars Squadrons probably didn't do that great. So... I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. We'll find out everything eventually. But with that, I think that's where we're going to end the show. Uh, Thanks for hanging out with us on Saturday. Uh, We'll be back hopefully next week on Friday to talk more about uh, the world of video games and Xbox. And hopefully there will be some cool things announced next week. Um, So with that, guys, enjoy the rest of the rest of your weekend depending on when you listen to this, of course. Uh, We'll have it up on uh, the podcast app soon enough. And um, keep it gaming, guys. Later. Later.